Matthew's Gospel, the sixth chapter. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up there now with a message entitled, What Are You Worried About? And we'll be picking up this morning in verse 25, if you would now follow along with me as we read from the Word of God. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry? Due to the recent outbreak of the global pandemic of the coronavirus, many within the world are afraid. For some, their worries have actually given way to fear and panic. We've seen people unnervingly rush to their local grocery stores to purchase more toilet paper than they could use in six months. We've seen chaos break out at Costco where police had to be called in to respond to the pandemonium. We've also observed a united effort to curb this virus quickly as our government leaders have prescribed precautionary measures in order to protect our citizens and our communities. With the closure of schools and larger gatherings, such as sporting events being postponed and even church services now being affected, Travel bans have been enforced. Social distancing has been encouraged. Some major companies, even local businesses, are shutting down temporarily and encouraging their employees to work remotely from home. The United States of America is in the midst of a national emergency. And all of these things and more could easily cause one to be overwhelmed with anxiety. However, the things that we are seeing at this very moment shouldn't take us by surprise. Because Jesus told us, you remember, and reminded us there in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but... Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Perhaps some of you this morning who are joining with us on this online service are worried and anxious. Let me remind you, listen carefully, hear me, please. God is still in control. In fact, right now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you there in your living room or for wherever you're watching this service, and I want you to look them in the face, and I want you to say these words, God is still in control. No, I'm serious. Say it. Go ahead. Don't, don't pretend. Actually do it. All right. God is still in control. Amen. Today, I want to turn our attention to the words of Jesus, which provide the answers for anxiety and the remedy for worry. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, we have what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was a message that Jesus actually gave to his disciples. 
It was through this sermon that Jesus revealed to his disciples how they were to live in the midst of this world. And within this section of his sermon, Jesus dealt specifically with the subject of worry. Now, worry is mental anxiety or stress. Worry suggests fretting over matters that may or may not be a real cause for anxiety. Now, one of the Greek words that's actually used for worry in the scriptures means to be pulled in different directions. It means to fall apart in pieces. Worry begins when you are overly concerned about the problems of life to the point that you can think of nothing else. It can become crippling, an all-consuming sense of uncertainty that is then accompanied by fear. In today's study, I'd like for us to answer a few questions concerning worry. And here they are. First of all, number one, what are some of the causes of worry? Secondly, why shouldn't I worry? And thirdly, what is the cure for worry? Number one, what are some of the causes of worry? Now, when you look at the context of this chapter, you will notice that Jesus began to give instructions on worry, and he started out in verse 25 when he uses the word, therefore. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, if you're a student of the word and you've been studying with us, you know this by now. When you see the word therefore, you ask, what is it therefore? And it refers back to all the things that were mentioned in the previous verses, which I believe highlights for us some of the causes of worry. One of the first causes in this context would be misplaced affections. Look at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus here exhorts his disciples not to lay up for yourselves temporal treasures here on the earth because the treasures of this earth don't last and eventually we'll have to leave them behind. Now in ancient times, much like today, wealth was observable in the clothing that people wore or in the possessions that they had. But Jesus said, if a thief doesn't steal it, a moth will wreck it or rust will ruin it. No matter what we have, no matter what we own, at some point, it'll quit working the way we want it to. Even our physical bodies begin to decline with age and time. In fact, when you think about it, every earthly treasure that we possess is subject to decay and we will have to leave it behind when we leave this earth. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with having possessions as long as those possessions don't possess you and become idols that you worship. But so often, if all that we treasure and all that we value is only temporary and what we have here on the earth, we can become so easily worried and troubled about many things. I'll give you an example. Think about King Solomon, the wealthiest man probably that had ever lived. 
He was greatly worried about all that he had accumulated and the fact that one day he would have to leave it behind to his son. He said it was nothing but vanity and his overarching concern and worry was clearly recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes. Another example, this time in the New Testament. Do you remember when Jesus was met by the rich young ruler? He had great intentions, but sadly, he had misplaced affections and he focused all of his attention upon that which was temporal, his wealth. And it kept him from following Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, is there anything that's keeping you back from following Jesus? Do you have misplaced affections this morning? I think of what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, now godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And I suggest to you that one of those sorrows is worry as a result of misplaced affections. As important as it is to be a good steward of what we have and and be mindful and discerning of what God's given us and to use it for his glory. We need to be mindful and careful of misplaced affections. But there's another cause for worry today. Not only misplaced affections, but I'll suggest to you also misplaced attention. Look at verse 22 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The lamp here refers to the lens of the body, which is your eye. In other words, what you look at, what your attention is focused on, where you look with your eyes, which in turn goes into your mind and then makes its way into your heart, and then is carried out in your actions, and even in your conversation. If my attention is set on that which is good, well, then it affects me in a positive way. On the other side, if my eyes and attention are fixed on what is evil and carnal and sinful, then guess what happens? It affects me in a negative way. Jesus said, be very careful what you focus your attention upon. Sadly, some people today, in light of the current situation, are so troubled and so worried because they're distracted with so many other things, and it's all that they focus on. Probably for many of us listening today or watching this service, you may have watched the news more in the last two weeks than in your entire life, trying to stay updated on what's happening. And I'm not saying don't be informed and know what's going on and know the risks and be wise concerning these things, but I'm saying don't let that be your only attention. Don't focus completely on what the news media is saying. Look at what God is saying in his word. Remember the promises of God because if all you focus on is what's going on right now in the world, you're gonna be worried. You're gonna be overwhelmed. You're gonna be anxious because of misplaced attention. You know, it reminds me of that story in the New Testament when Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They're in Bethany. 
And you remember that Mary and Martha, they weren't necessarily expecting Jesus' disciples to show up, but when they showed up, they began to move into hospitality. And Martha, of course, was very hospitable. She's working in the kitchen, but Mary, she wanted to sit at Jesus' feet and hear what he had to say. And in that moment, Martha got a little frustrated with her sister. She had her attention on serving, and it's not wrong to serve, but you remember what happened? It tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 42, it says, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha was so completely overwhelmed because of what she was distracted by. Her attention was focused on something instead of Jesus. And so she then looks at her sister and then questions whether or not the Lord actually cared about her. Lord, don't you care? Aren't you concerned? And of course, Jesus responded to Martha and reminded her that because of misplaced attention, she was worried and troubled about many things. This is so often how we can become. We have misplaced attention. When we should have Jesus in view, we see everything else. We haven't taken time to sit at the feet of Jesus, and we become overwhelmed with life. And when everything becomes so overwhelming, we then go so far as to question God's love for us. God, do you really care about me? Maybe right now in the midst of what you're experiencing or what's going on in the world, you're wondering, is God aware of what's happening? Let me just tell you something. God is very much aware of what's happening. And I believe that God is using what is taking place right now to get our attention back on him. We realize that government is not in control, that the health community doesn't have the answers. What we realize is that we need God. God is using this time right now to take our attention off all these other peripheral things and get us focused back on our creator in the midst of what we're encountering. Folks, listen, take time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Put your attention back on the Lord. If you've been distracted, if you've been sidelined or you're backslidden right now, this is the time to get your attention back on Jesus. With misplaced attention, all we can see are the wind and the waves and the circumstances when we need to be looking at Jesus. Are you looking at Jesus today? The Bible exhorts us to look unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes right now on Jesus. Yes, there are winds. Yes, there are waves. Yes, there is a virus, but there is a God who loves us. Misplaced affection, misplaced attention, but also a cause for anxiety can be linked to misplaced allegiance. Look at verse 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Notice that Jesus says here, you cannot serve two masters. Many people try. But if you try to serve two masters, you have a divided heart, divided allegiance, which leads to worry and concern and anxiety. Listen, hear me on this point this morning. In light of the days in which we're living, folks, this is not the time to be undecided concerning Jesus or to have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. This is the time to be decided for the Lord. Who are you going to serve? Let me ask you this question. Who is your master? Who are you serving right now at this moment? Because it makes all the difference in the world. Do you remember in 1 Kings when Elijah 
went up onto Mount Carmel as so many of God's people had begun to, begun to worship at the altars of Baal, worship in different places, false gods. And so what did God do? God allowed, can I say to you, a national crisis to occur. There was no rain for three years and famine hit the land. And suddenly Elijah was called out of obscurity to face the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And they all gathered there. And you remember what had happened and how Elijah said that whatever God answers by fire, that's the true God. But he called out, listen, he called out the people of God. And this is what he said to them in 1 Kings chapter 18. He said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. In other words, Elijah said, this is the time right now in the midst of a national crisis, you got to decide who it is you're going to serve. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve this world. What kingdom are you a part of? Joshua said much the same thing after the nation of Israel had come in to the promised land and began to take their allotted territories. At the very end of the book of Joshua, you remember this passage. He said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Folks, you watching right now in your house, listen, every dad watching right now who is overseeing a family, you've got to be able to say for your house, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You have to be decided on that point. You can't have divided allegiance. Folks, this is the time for the people of God to trust in God, to rely on God, because misplaced allegiance can easily lead to anxiety. Now, here's the second question. Why shouldn't I worry? I mean, everybody else is worried. Everybody else is running to the store. Everybody else is overwhelmed. Why shouldn't I worry? I'm so glad you asked that question. I'm gonna answer it for you, and I wanna encourage you, you need to write these things down. It's right here in this text. Why shouldn't I worry? Here's the first reason. Number one, because it's a command from Jesus. Three times Jesus says in this passage, do not worry. Look at what it says in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Did you notice that this isn't a suggestion? This is actually a command from Jesus. Do not worry. Don't do it. It literally means take no anxious thought. Instead of allowing anxious thoughts to take us captive, the Bible says that we're to take captive our thoughts to the obedience of Jesus Christ. If our flesh or our circumstances or the enemy incites fear, we have to take those fears back to the word of God, back to the promises of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, here's what it says. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. We're not to worry because first of all, it's a command from Jesus Christ and I wanna be obedient to his commands. Here's the second reason. Life is more than the material. Look at verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus poses the question, isn't life more than the temporal? Isn't life more than the material? The answer to that question 
is yes. The Bible tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Life is more than the temporal. Right now, listen, we're just passing through, folks. We're just passing through this life. We are here temporarily. We are on our way to glory. If you're a Christian today, your future is as bright as the promises of God. Listen, we have so much to praise him for today. Life is more than the material. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to this verse. We, talking about the people of God, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. We get so worried and so overwhelmed when we think that life is only the material, that which is tangible, and we easily forget about eternity. We need to live for eternity. We need to remember that this is, this is all just temporary. We're just passing through. I don't need to worry Life is more than the material. Well, why shouldn't I worry? Here's the third reason, and I'd say to you, this is probably my favorite reason out of all of them. What is it? Well, it says in verse 26, it implies you are loved by God. You don't need to worry because you're loved by God. Look at verse 26. Look, Jesus said, at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus here points to an example in nature. He draws our attention to nature in order to illustrate that his creatures, they don't worry. They're not concerned. You know, maybe you have pets at your house. I wonder if your pets right now are overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. They aren't. I have a golden retriever. They're not worried. The only thing they're concerned about is what they're going to eat, and we take care of that. They're not concerned. And what Jesus is doing here is, is he's reasoning from what is called the lesser to the greater. If tiny little birds that he created are not overwhelmed and not concerned about what's happening or worried, what about his kids? Listen, folks, we are the height of God's creation. We were created in the image of God and he loves us. And Jesus asked the question, are you not of more value than they? And the answer to that question is yes, you are of more value than they are. And what does that imply? It implies that you're loved by God. If you only knew this morning how much God loves you, you wouldn't be worried. You wouldn't be anxious. The Bible tells us very clearly concerning the love of God. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, it says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you understand this morning that God has clearly, overwhelmingly demonstrated his love for us? We don't need to worry. We are loved by God. 
And if you doubt his love this morning, if you're sitting there in your home, you're watching this service online and you're saying, I don't know whether God loves me or not. Can I encourage you right now at this moment, look back to the cross at Calvary. Look back and be reminded of the nail-pierced hands and feet of Jesus. Be reminded of the crown of thorns. Be reminded of the statements he made that it is finished. Be reminded of his death and his resurrection. Be reminded of all the promises that he's made concerning eternity and heaven. And you don't need to worry because you're loved by God. He made it clear. And I also want to remind you today that there is nothing that you could do right now at this moment to make God love you more than he loves you right now. He loves you perfectly. Why shouldn't I worry? Here's the fourth reason. It won't change anything. (laughs) Look at what it says in verse 27. Which of you by worrying could add one cubit to his stature? Why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. But I say that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus tells us here that which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? A cubit was some 18 inches. What Jesus is saying is you can worry, but it's not going to add anything to you. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to alter the circumstances. Sometimes we think if I just worry more, maybe things are going to change. You know, it's an interesting thing about worry. Sometimes we worry about things that never happen. We lose sleep over things that could potentially happen. We're not sure if it's going to happen, but we're worried that it could. And so we, and listen, we can't live in that. It's not going to change anything. It's going to make us miserable. We need to trust God. We need to know that he is in control. And that is why Jesus makes it so clear. You're not going to grow physically, but I'll say this to you. It's going to hinder your growth spiritually. If you're worrying and you're anxious right now, it's not helping you grow. It's actually stunting your growth. We don't need to worry because it's not going to change anything. But the fifth reason in answer to this question, why shouldn't I worry, is because worry is the enemy of our faith. Worry is the enemy of our faith. Jesus said at the end of these verses, he said, Oh, you of little faith. There are several times that Jesus says that in the scriptures. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? What are you worried about? Why, why, where's your faith? Where's your trust in me? The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you know something? If the enemy can get you to worry, get you to fear and doubt, you'll never step out in faith. Satan will come to us like he came to Eve in the garden and he'll question God's word. Did God really say that? Do you think that applies to you? Come on now, that doesn't apply to you. Worry can never see what faith can because faith sees the unseen. Faith believes in the promises of God. It trusts in them and worry doubts the promises of God. Listen to this, here's a quote. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. The Bible has much to say on the subject of faith. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It says we stand by faith. We abide in faith. We're saved by faith. We walk by faith. The Bible says for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Your faith. When we doubt the Lord, 
When we're anxious and worried, it's an indication of a lack of faith. Faith and worry are mutually exclusive from one another. If you're doubting the Lord today and your faith is being shaken, can I encourage you? Here's what I do. I look back at the faithfulness of God. I have a history with God. You have a history with God. Look back over your life. Be reminded of how God has brought you through, what God has done in your life. If God has brought us to this point, it's not like he's saying, hey, it's been great. It's been a good, it's been a good run, but you're, you're on your own now. Just see how it goes. God's not like that. He's going to remain faithful even when we're faithless because he can't deny himself. Guys, if he's not faithful, then that goes against his character and nature. God's going to remain faithful. Where is your faith? You remember the disciples? They came to the realization of walking with Jesus. At one point they said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus said to them, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed. A little faith in a faithful God goes a long way. Why shouldn't we worry? It's a command from Jesus. Life is more than the material. You're loved by God. It's not going to change anything. It's an enemy of your faith. And finally, God knows what we need. It says here in verse 31, therefore, in light of everything that I've just said, Jesus said, therefore, here's, here it is again, do not worry. Saying, what should we eat? What are we going to drink? What should we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Isn't that a comfort this morning to know that God knows the things we have need of even before we ask? And probably for many of us, we've come to realize that not everything we think we need, we actually need. As people go to the stores and they seek to purchase what they need, some people go beyond what they need, but you understand, we realize what, what is needful. God knows. He's in control. It's not like, God, do you, do you, are you, hello, is anybody up there? Do you know what's going on? Do you know what my needs are? Do you know what my concerns are? He knows what you need. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides and the Bible tells us very clearly that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He will provide. He is faithful. Having seen some of the causes of worry. And secondly, why shouldn't we worry? And the reasons listed. The final thing I'd like for us to consider is what is the cure for worry? And that's really the question this morning. What is the cure for worry? And I want to tell you, it's right here in this passage. And by the way, this is actually a life verse for me. Why shouldn't I worry? What is the cure for worry? What is the remedy for anxiety? Look with me now at verse 33 in your Bible. And maybe you'd like to read this out loud with me. Let's read it together from where you are. And I want you to hear it come out of your mouth and come into your ears. Let's read it together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you see the cure? Do you see the remedy? What is it? Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the Bible says, here's the promise, all these things will be added unto you. And this phrase for seek 
It's in what is called the present imperative. So it means that the antidote for anxiety is to make a daily choice and to prioritize in seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. Do you realize this morning that if you're a Christian, you're a part of an entirely different kingdom. The Bible says that one day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and he's going to reign forever. That Jesus is actually going to establish his kingdom upon the earth. In the model for prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one day that prayer request is going to be answered. We're part of a different kingdom. And so I need to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. I need to set my affection, my attention, seek the Lord. Not second. Not third, not when it's convenient, not when the world is in a national crisis. I need to seek the Lord right now, daily. Seek him first. Is God a priority in your life? Is reading your Bible a priority? You say, well, how do I seek the Lord, Pastor John? What, what's, what's practically speaking, how does one seek first the kingdom of God? I do believe that we seek first the kingdom of God in prayer where we spend time at the feet of Jesus, where we're, we're pouring out our heart to the Lord, not just in a monologue of what we need, but a dialogue where we're speaking and we're allowing him to speak back to us, a dialogue between us and the Lord, where we're listening. Another way to seek the Lord, very practically, is to spend time in the word of God, to read God's word. I can't think of anything more comforting than the word of God. Listen, when I'm visiting people, who are at death's door. They're, they're one moment away from eternity. No, no one, in my experience, for the most part, no one refuses to hear the word of God. People want to be prayed for. They want to hear the comforting words of the Lord. And his word brings comfort. You seek the Lord through prayer, through word, through his word, and also through fellowship with God's people. Now, granted, we're, we're not able to all be together right now. But you have people that you know that you can connect with. You can pray with people in your own family. I think the situation that we're in right now is bringing families together. It's bringing people together. We're realizing, you know what, I think also that we don't take for granted the assembling of ourselves together. Because I think a lot of times people take for granted the fact that we can be together in fellowship as a group. And so we say, well, I'm not going to, you know, they'll be there next week or it'll be happen that, that next time. And so we take for granted the gathering of ourselves. Well, right now, now that we're not gathered together, listen, it's kind of awakening us to the reality that, listen, I need to be serious about fellowship and seeking the Lord with God's people. And prayerfully, sooner than later, we'll all be together again, together in fellowship. Don't neglect it. It's so important. Seeking the Lord first. I find that seeking him first is a great cure for worry and anxiety. To look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Folks, I want to encourage you today. In a few moments, our service is going to be over. The team's going to come back up and lead us in a song of, of worship to end our time. But what I'd like for you to do as a family, as a couple, or with your friends, wherever you are right now watching the service online, when the service is over, what I'd like for you to do, in light of the fact that our president, praise God, has declared that today is a national day of prayer, that you would pray together as a family for this nation, that you'd pray for the church, that, that you would pray that God would use this time to draw people to himself. I believe these are serious days in which we're living. I'm not fearful 
I want to be faithful. I would encourage you to do the same. Pray as a family. Talk about the things we've talked about today with your kids, with your, with your spouse. Let's talk about, let, let's pray for one another right now in this season and as a nation. Will you join me in a word of prayer right now? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray that if there are those who are watching today who are worried, who are overwhelmed, who are anxious, God, I pray that you would minister to every need this morning represented here. God, those that are, that are with us online, those that are watching, our church family extended all over this county, God, we pray that you would minister to their needs today. God, we thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that we don't have to worry, that you are still in control, that you are seated upon the throne, Lord. Father, help us as your people to be an example, to be a light that shines in the midst of the darkness, to be salt and light, as your word says. And God, we pray that you would provide a cure and that this virus would pass quickly throughout the world. Lord, we pray for our nation that we would turn back to you. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for gathering with us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.